uh, raised money from a tier one capital, uh, cap a tier one VC firm. Uh, it was a SaaS company. I got the funds on Friday. It was a two month diligence process. Uh, and over those two months, I realized that, you know, I'll not end up building a very large company. It will be another half a billion dollar top company. And uh, I didn't want to build a small outcome. So on Monday, I returned back the entire money before they could issue shares. Stories. This is your host, Apurva Sharma. I'm a partner at Stride Ventures, a leading venture debt fund in India. This podcast is our endeavor to connect startup enthusiasts and budding entrepreneurs with prominent founders, investors, and industry leaders through candid and fun conversations about their personal and professional journeys, which has got them to where they are today. Today, we are hosting the founder and CEO of the disruptive fintech startup, Uni. IIT Delhi, I'm Ahmedabad, Lehman Brothers, AU, Ola, might seem like a long list of accomplishments to most, but not to him. With disruption and innovation at the core of his being, his everlasting energy can be a source of inspiration for the entire ecosystem. So with Uni, he has undertaken another challenging yet disruptive journey, and we cannot wait to see it unfold in the times to come. I'm sure it would be a treat to our listeners to learn more about his plans for Uni, the first of its kind, pay one-third card offering in India. Without further ado, we welcome Mr. Nitin Gupta to Stride Stories. Hi, Nitin. Hi, Purva. Thank you so much for having me over and such a kind, warm introduction. I'm feeling embarrassed. <laughs> no, no, you deserve every bit of it. Thank you so much for your time, Nitin. Anytime. So we quickly start. We have three sections to our podcast. One is about the industry. One is a small rapid fire. And the third is our indebted to debt section. So we start right away. Tell us about your childhood. Where did you grow up? Who was your inspiration while growing up? I ask this because you've been quite an achiever since the beginning, all throughout. You know, IIT Delhi, ComSign, then I'm Ahmedabad, and so on and so forth. Uh, childhood, huh? uh, so I was, uh, uh, I think uh, I did my, what do you call that, uh, uh, Mont, uh, Montessori, etc. Up till class fourth, I was in Dehradun. Okay. Uh, dad was in CMC, so I was in Dehradun doing schooling there. In fourth, I came to Delhi and uh, went to Hanstad Model School. That's where I finished schooling. Uh, 2000, I went to IT Delhi, got lucky. Uh, and in 2004, I went to Ahmedabad. Inspiration. Uh, when I was in middle school, fourth, fifth, sixth, I wanted to become a neurosurgeon. Uh, actually, neurosurgeon, heart surgeon, both. But then uh, the first time uh, I saw the kind of studies that a doctor has to do, and for a very, very long time, and the fact that I couldn't dissect a frog, I just couldn't. <laughs> <laughs> I gave up on my dreams to be a doctor <laughs> pretty early on. Uh, and uh, that's when I ended up being in engineering. The second uh, place where uh, I got inspired a lot was in 2003. I had gone for my internship to Sun Microsystems. Uh, and my boss uh, was 1992 IT Delhi Computer Science, my senior. Uh, and while chatting with him, right, uh, the way he spoke about Scott McNeely, the founder of Sun Microsystems, uh, Sudhendra was my boss's name. I got a lot inspired by Sudhendra. The way he spoke about Scott, the fact that he would either work for Scott or in his own company. I think that was the first time also I thought about running a company uh, in 2003. I would say that that guy uh, inspired me a lot. 
and in general you know parents are always inspiration those those would be my first of inspiration great and you will inspire a lot many people <laughs> time will tell <laughs> no no of course you already have um did you always want to be an entrepreneur tell us how you started with coach guru what were your learnings uh, from that so 2003 i decided i wanted to be an entrepreneur that's the third year at iit delhi and then i start spending time to learn business i was iit delhi computer science so the nerdy guy you know yeah yeah but i learned business uh, in 2004 i did internships in sales to learn sales i ended up at iit delhi to learn business it's a different story that so i you already about. knew that you wanted to become an entrepreneur and that's why you joined b school ha uh, so i joined b school to learn how to run a business however i am in the bar doesn't teach you it's an academic institution right it may cover the subject but still uh, uh, anyway this gives uh, you perspective yeah yes 2006 is when i started my first venture coach guru uh, right out of i am in the bar uh, and i had a ppo from lehman before joining lehman i had a three month break uh, so lehman was where you interned Lehman is where I interned in two thousand five. Yes, in two thousand six, when I graduated from Ahmedabad, uh, we had three months before joining Lehman. So I started Coach Guru as a local search engine. Uh, but then I went to Lehman. But that kid up a five. So I got my friends full time into Coach Guru and started funding their salaries. Uh, then okay. Lehman, then a crisis happened. Lehman went bankrupt. Uh, Nomura, while they took over, I think I was done by banking by then. So I went came back and just joined Coach Guru and you know uh, started running it more formally. Uh, so so that's how kind of entrepreneurship happened for me it the the, the seed was sown in 2003 and i think i spent the next 5 years just preparing myself to be better entrepreneur and in the end realized ki you can't prepare yourself to become an entrepreneur wo karna hi padta hai there's no right time you just have to start yeah yeah so 2008 is when i formally joined kojuru and started it we pivoted from local search to couponing advertising we found product market fit the business became profitable without funding uh wow. Very so it was bootstrapped all throughout. Yeah, yeah. And then you later sold it. Yeah, we sold the company uh, later on. Uh, then, uh, uh, I mean, if I'm talking about my story only, then uh, when I exited Coach Guru, I, I got married. शादी की मैंने का थोड़ा stability के लिए life है, so I ended up joining Adobe. Uh, I was in Adobe for exactly 99 days. Uh, <laughs> realized very early on, uh, I think at the end of month one. कि I don't think I can work in a large company. I'm still not paying. I'm still not paying. The problem with the large companies that the CEO wants to go north, but the organization interprets is anything between northwest to northeast is north. And I was a product manager, right? So my objective was to keep aligning people to north. I mean, you are spending more than fifty percent of your energy in internal alignment uh, rather than really building great product for the customer out there. Right? Seemed like such a waste. Uh, anyway, then I started to uh, pay you uh, in 2011. Um, that went on fine. Uh, exited that in 2016. Uh, when I started pay you, we were the number 14th payment gateway. Uh, when I exited, uh, it was the number two payment gateway. Uh, number one, बनने की बड़ी इच्छा थी पर number one बनने के लिए finally builders को acquire करना पड़ा. फिर 2016 के बाद मैंने एक साल का break लिया. Then I became CEO of Ola Financial Services. Uh, spent few years there. And then I started uni in late 2020. Uni. What break? Me? What did you do? Break? Me? What did you do? Break? Me? First, I asked this question. What did I do? What did I do? Am I an investor? Am I an entrepreneur? So I did at least uh, some 15 angel investments just to see what an investor does for a living. Realized I don't think I like being on fringes. I, I am an operator. So the first realization was that. 
Second, I started a company, uh, raised money from a tier one capital, uh, cap tier one VC firm. Uh, it was a SaaS company. I got the funds on Friday. It was a two month diligence process. Uh, and over those two months, I realized that, you know, I'll not end up building a very large company. It will be another half a billion dollar top company. And uh, I didn't want to build a small outcome. So on Monday, I returned back the entire money before they could issue shares. Uh, wow. uh, and that was the second realization. Right? I don't want to build a small company. I want to build an extremely large company. Uh, and in that extremely large, I realized I love manufacturing and, and financial services is easy to manufacture. So that was the third realization. So these realizations ended up leading me to pursue a career in financial services or quote unquote fintech. But those uh, 14, 15 months were a uh, lot of self-discovery. Nice. So uh, Nitin, you know, when you started PayU, it was the time that India was opening up to online payments and there were not too many online payment companies that time. So how have you seen that evolve in the last decade? Because a lot yeah. has changed, yeah. right? It's been fun. So I remember when I started PayU, right, in 2011, I think you were trying to estimate the number of people who would buy online. Uh, using any payment instrument, right? Our estimate was about five odd million. Uh, while it could have been stretched to 15, but the real number was around five. Uh, so that is where we started. Today, that number is not of 150 million. I've seen a 30x growth in online buyers and shoppers uh, from 2011 to now 2022. Right? So, so incredible growth uh, that way. Uh, that I think will be the one biggest. Uh, uh, numerical figure that I would talk about. Now, there have been multiple consequences of that. The first biggest consequence of that has been that there is real depth in Indian market. And you look at startups today, the time it takes for a startup to get to 100 crore annualized revenue has come down drastically. Back in 2011, to get to 100 crore revenue would be like a five-year, six-year, seven-year process. Uni achieved that target in 11 months. We went from zero revenues, product launch to doing 100 crore annualized revenue in 11 months flat. Uh, and that could happen because the market is deep now. Uh, this is the biggest uh, impact that when um, uh, the market overall increases, the number of uh, customers overall increase or users or transactors uh, increase, right? Uh, there is more depth in the market. The second consequence of this increase is that more niche businesses can be created. So look back at all businesses that started in like first part of 2015, before 2015, right? There were more horizontals, like whether it was Flipkart or Make My Trip or whatever, right? To take any company, you will see a rarity of verticals, right? They had to do, they had to solve multiple problems because the market didn't have depth. Uh, now you can take one problem, just focus on one product, uh, on one type of customer segment and build uh, valuable businesses, right? So this is the second consequence that happens when market deepens up. India is at that point. So it's pretty exciting to be building in 2022 uh, uh, because the problems you were solving way back in 2011 were far more basic, far more fundamental, far more infrastructural. Uh, and the problems they're solving in 2022 are, are much different because the market has more depth. Right. And I think India has seen the fastest growth in the world in terms of online payments. Oh, yeah, the of course. Of online payments. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I remember 2016, I visited China and China was way ahead in terms of mobile payments, like way ahead. Then UPI happened late 17. And today, India has overtaken China in terms of pure number of mobile transactions. Right? That's a big feat in itself. Big yeah. feat. 
uh, I think uh, India is incredible actually, incredible opportunity. Absolutely. So moving on, Nitin, payment products backed by credit. You know, the entire segment is seen uh, seeing massive capital inflows and a lot of innovation. What excites you the most in the next couple of years? Also, how do you think the challenger credit cards will keep differentiating themselves from the traditional banks? See, there are three kinds of trends that are happening. The most fundamental trend is that uh, when it comes to credit, right, you increase access. Uh, people who did not have credit card or credit card like products access to before, you get them access to people who didn't have access to credit before, you give them access to it, right? And that is fundamentally done by changing underwriting models, getting access to new data sources, improving underwriting, uh, complementing them with right collections, etc. right? So across the world, people keep increasing access to credit by innovating on that angle. Uh, uh, banks were operating here, PSU banks, you know, private banks did better than them. NBFC did better than them. Fintechs are trying to do better than them. Right? That's one trend that you always see. Second trend that you always see is that people who embrace technology try to uh, usher in a new wave. Right? The reason HDFC Bank and ICICI Bank won over uh, traditional PSU banks in late 1990s and early 2000s was because of their core technology backend. Uh, the reason, uh, uh, you know, when you look at any fintech wave across the world, right? One of the reasons they are able to beat incumbents is because it's not just about backend technology anymore, the front-end interfaces that they create for customers, the, the more intuitive they've made it, right? The customers prefer such products, you know, are more engaged with such products. But that's the second way which happens, right? You keep improving technology to better cater to the customer's needs and interests. However, both these things are, uh, well, will always be true, right? And in both cases, the improvements are typically incremental. They are not 10x improvements, right? You will keep growing from 1x to 1.5x to 2x. And that's what, whether you refer to challenger credit cards or many other players have done in the market. However, as uni, right, we think very, very differently. We think that uh, traditionally the market, uh, Indian market particularly, have categorized users just basis income. If they have higher income, give them a credit card product. If they have lower income, give them a you know, EMI loan. Uh, if uh, even within credit card, right? If they are, you know, very super affluent, give them a signature card with, uh, you know, much more benefits like golf access and lounge access. Otherwise, give a basic card, right? So they have only differentiate customers' basis income and basis income. They decide what type of card to give. If you look at the globally, the world, right? People have differentiate customers not just on income but basis risk as well. Uh, in 1990s, when Capital One started, right? They said that every customer gets the same interest rate of 20%. Uh, they said, you know, to a super prime customer, let's give an interest rate of 8%. To a prime customer, let's give 15%. And to a subprime, let's give 40%. And they then started using a second factor called risk to differentiate between customers. So while in India, people are, banks are still differentiating customers' basis income, uh, across the world, people differentiate customers' basis income and risk both. What we are saying is, even those two variables are not enough. You can actually differentiate between customers' basis many, many more things. Uh, first thing is customer need, right? Uh, by default, a credit card type product assumes that a customer need is convenience. They want to collect rewards. But that's not true for all customers. That's only true for like 30-40% of the customers. Another 30% of the customers use credit card as a liquidity management tool uh, to manage their cash flows, right? To smoothen out their cash flows by revolving on it. A very, very different way of using a, a card product. 
A certain type of customers, another 20% of the customers use their credit card very rarely. They put their credit card inside their, inside their Almira drawer. They'll take it out when they have to do a big expense. They're improving their affordability use through it. There are certain type of customers who will use credit card to socially signal that they have arrived in life. Just like you show your phone or your car, they'll show their metal card, they'll show it's an Infinia card, they'll show it's a Tenna cookie line card. Right? So people use uh, products for different needs. And today our credit card just kind of bundles them, all of them together, uh, and therefore doesn't do justice to any one such uh, need of a customer. By just focusing on one need of a customer, you can build a better product. That's what we did at Uni with Pay One Third. Right? We said that there are a bunch of customers who sometimes face liquidity issues. Uh, can we offer them a superior product? Pay One Third allows them to split their payments into three months payback uh, over three months without additional cost, right? One third, one third, one third. And if they can pay back end of first month, they enjoy the 1% reward. So we made the 1% reward tradable with paying back in three months. And that's how we found such a strong product market fit. Uh, and so on and so forth, right? So our, our core thesis is that you can micro-segment the customers into small micro-customer segments, basis income, basis risk, basis their behavior, basis their needs, wants, desires, affinities, what card they have, how they spend, many variables. And for each small customer segment, you can build a superior product. Uni is actually short form for unique, where we desire to build a unique product for each customer. Nice. So one thing, of course, is micro segmentation, as you said. Also, I think customer experience. These big traditional banks also, once they roll out credit cards, the experience is not good, right? Um, no reminders come to you. Uh, you know, they'll just uh, penalize you for a late payment fee when just one simple text message or a call would have, you know, made yeah. sure that the customer pays on time. And then long waiting queues. I think Amex has had the gold class of customer experience. Right, right. So no, that's definitely uh, an area of improvement, right? Uh, but if you call up Amex, right, uh, or you talk to customers who are Amex customers, they'll say customer service is very big. technology ki badai nahi karenge, mm -hmm. right? I think, uh, I think traditional banks or uh, financial service institutions have never owned their own product and engineering. And therefore, even if they want or have an intent of designing superior products from a technology interface perspective, they struggle there. And that's where the nimbleness of a startup helps them move faster. Uh, but I don't think that over the long run, everybody's heading in the same direction, right? Everybody wants to offer a more seamless customer experience to their customer. So those things will keep catching up. Uh, if you go to SBI card, uh, sorry, SBI bank, right? And check out the internet banking. It will be no different from HDFC internet bank, HDFC bank internet banking. While a decade ago, they were very different. But today, you will not find any difference. Right? So eventually, technology catches up to a bare minimum threshold where the customer feels fine. Uh, of course, better can be done always, but yeah. Absolutely. Uh, moving on to Uni. So Uni is the first of its kind, pay one third card. Today, you are targeting the super prime customers. Uh, as you move to prime and near prime customers, the revolve late payment fees will increase which obviously makes the ROA more lucrative. How would you balance this along with the probable increase in credit cost? See, at the end of the day, there are uh, two, three fundamental driving factors in any lending business, right? You have to think about it very fundamentally. The first driving factor is that in any lending business, you should be making money. Uh, so people who lose money in lending business for long, right? One or two years, one can understand. But more than that, if you're losing money in a lending business, it's wrong, right? Yeah. You, you are lending at a higher cost, you're borrowing at a lower cost, you're making the spread and covering your cost. Right? So, so that's one fundamental principle. 
The second fundamental principle is that the money that you make on any customer segment has to be commensurate to the risk you're taking on that customer segment. Right? Different customers have bureau scores, for example. Right? What is a bureau score indicator? For? It's an indicator of probability of default. So let's say over a five-year time period, a customer, one customer, you know, one set of customers will give you X risk. Another set of customers will give you 1.5 X risk. Another set of customers will give you 2.25 risk. Another set of customers will give you 3.75 X risk. I'm increasing this by 50%, right? From each of these customer segments, you need a different return or a different ROI. Because when a credit cycle comes, and in the business of lending, a credit cycle comes on an average every eight years. It will come, right? It's a you have to accept it. Yeah. When a credit cycle comes, how much money you lose uh, is again dependent upon the risk of the underlying customer segment. If you have very high quality customer segment, very predictable, right? The risk will probably worsen by 20, 30, 40% in a crisis like 2008 or a crisis like 2020, like right? a COVID crisis or the uh, subprime crisis. Uh, but, you know, a very, very high risk customer segment uh, may worsen by 3x, 4x. And what happens is that when that credit cycle comes, you end up losing some money. That some money should be much lower than the profits you've generated in the first seven years of the business. Right? That's how you run a business. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so your ROI has to be in line with the risk you are taking. Uh, and therefore, you offer different products to different customer segments and drive different ROIs. Right? Uh, if you look at a housing loan company, right, uh, HDFC Limited, for example, if they're generating teens ROA, but the risk is extremely low, that's great. But on the other hand, Bajaj Finance, which takes a little bit more risk, you are not happy with like a 12, 13% ROA. You want a 20% ROA, uh, ROE, sorry. Yeah. Uh, so I, I mixed up ROE and ROE. I, I mean ROE, right? But let's say you are catering to a near prime customer segment, even much riskier, right? You are not okay with a 20% ROE. You want even higher ROE because when bedtimes will come, your entire profits will be washed off. So that's the way to think about it. So at uni as well, right? We were operating in super prime customers, very high quality, 770 bureau score, very predictable risk, very, very low risk. And therefore we were willing to operate at smaller ROIs. And that's how any business starts as well. Uh, uh, when you start a new business, uh, you want to be conservative. Then you move to next uh, class of risk where you make higher ROIs uh, and you're taking higher credit risk too. Always profitably. But your ROI expectation from the segment is much higher than the ROI expectation of Superprime, and so and so forth. Right. No, absolutely. Uh, moving on, uh, the Reserve Bank of India has proposed linking credit cards with UPI for payment. And initially, this facility will be available only for rupee cards. How do you think, you know, if and when this gets implemented, how is it going to change the interchange landscape? Because today, a lot of payment products backed by credit have either subvention or interchange through which they right. Right? So how is it going to change the landscape of interchange? So first let's look at acceptance, right? What will UPI acceptance lead to? The organized merchants today accept all cards, right? Credit card, etc. They have machines, they have an infrastructure, you can just tap and pay, etc. etc. Right. So an organized merchant additionally accepting UPI for a customer who already had a credit card will not change their method of payment. They will still continue to use credit card, right? And when they use their credit card on Visa Rails, they will get paid an interchange. Now, even if they start accepting it via QR code, the interchange on organized merchants can theoretically be the same as a network like Visa. Okay. And no, no difference made, right? Uh, but that is not the purpose of giving QR code. 
the objective of giving qr code is always to increase its acceptance today a large set of unorganized merchants uh, mom and pop stores accept digital payments through qr code because it is free for them they operate that transaction as a p2p transaction on qr code right or upi not as a p2m transaction mm -hmm. and because they are operating as a p2p transaction it's free for the merchant free for the customer now when you want a credit card to work and to for its acceptance to increase beyond the visa mastercard it work to basically unorganized merchants you cannot have the unorganized merchant paying a fee for it they will not they will say you know what i'll not accept it right so it will need to be offered free of cost to the customer that if they want to use the credit card on the qr code for an unorganized merchant then the unorganized merchant will not pay any uh, any uh, any fee for it right so transaction will have to be free and interchange will have to be zero and on the unorganized merchant or sp2 that means and in credit right you cannot give things for free yeah uh, you may do it for, you know for for engagement for a small value transaction but can't do it for a large value transaction right so my thing is or my belief is that issuers like they today enable you to pay your bill payments utility bill payments or insurance fee payments where they make hardly any interchange similarly they will allow upi payments but up to a certain value for free so okay. they may say you know upi payments up to rupees 2000 are free but beyond 2000 they will be a convenience charge applied just like a convenience charge is applied when you pay for fuel uh or any other place right so that's how it will work now this will allow a user who wants to use their credit card uh, on upi at a unorganized merchant uh, for free up to a certain amount uh, and have to pay uh, beyond that now this solution can theoretically be implemented even today hmm. npci and rbi have allowed upi to work on top of a ppi all credit card issuers today right can also give a ppi wallet to their customers since upi works on ppi all they have to do is that from the credit card they disburse money into the wallet and from the wallet the money goes over the upi rails uh, to the merchant right to the unorganized merchant so this solution can theoretically even be implemented today it's just technically slightly more challenging but for the customer it will be seamless so while upi on rupees is a welcome move people who are serious about making it happen can make it happen independent of the network yeah so don't exactly need a rupee based card correct correct correct, correct. okay uh, moving on um, nitin uh, last question for this segment do you feel there is a need for more fintech focused funds like how we have inside partners qed ribit etc in the us see the answer to that is is little bit of yes but i'll tell you why i'm saying that yes in the frenzy of 2021 when people were investing and non fintech focused funds come and invest in financial services companies then they set the wrong expectations of returns so for example right uh, klarna and many other global uh, lending companies were getting valued at saas revenue multiples uh, across the world a lending company cannot be uh, valued on revenues uh, i mean i can take more risk and increase my revenues right yeah. Uh, yeah. and giving saas revenue multiples is you know crazy uh, there is a credit cost right the credit cost can change with credit cycle with the type of customer there was no accountability uh, of uh, or, or no understanding deep understanding of credit risk and that's why you see you know the kind of uh, a valuation correction that fintech lending companies across the world have suffered 
is way more than a SaaS company in general. So you need investors to be more mature when investing in a financial services company. They need to understand risk, credit risk, lending company, liabilities, many such things, uh, which is different from how you would invest in a SaaS company or a consumer tech company. Right? And, and that's why I would say that uh, when investors don't think through it, they create artificial bubbles, they create artificial uh, you know, valuation hikes, they give wrong money to wrong companies, which then do wrong practices, which hurts everyone. Uh, lending is very interconnected that way, right? Yeah. That's the problem. Uh, and therefore, if more people can either understand it or more fintech-focused funds, fintech focus will automatically uh, understand it more. Uh, that's the reason I was saying tentatively yes. Sure, and I think in the you know coming years, now that uh, fintech has become so evolved in India and so many different verticals within fintech, there should be more uh, fintech-focused funds. You would think so. 2008 financial crisis, if you look at that, leverage was problem problem. Lehman was some 35x levered, 35x, right? Now, when you see financial crisis, you will see similar things. But 15 years later, another financial crisis will happen just yeah. with a different set of participants. Yeah, yeah. Everybody has to learn from their mistakes. Everybody's learning from it. Everybody, every generation. <laughs> Okay, now is the time for the rapid fire section. So these are the questions that you have to answer quickly. Don't okay. think much. Um, I know you, you've not been in too many jobs. You've been an entrepreneur for most of your life. But what has been your favorite job that you've ever been on? A CEO of uni? No, that didn't qualify. <laughs> CEO of uni? No. Does that qualify? That, that, okay, of course. But that's... My first job otherwise uh, at Lehman when I was securitizing fancy assets <laughs> okay what does your morning routine look like what is the first thing uh, first thing uh glass of water and then some exercise exercise wow you get the time to do it so which is a good thing everybody should make time for some bit of exercise so if you had to write a book tomorrow or whenever in your life what would it be on mm, sweets of india Oh, you, uh, you have a sweet... <laughs> I also like. <laughs> <laughs> Which one is your favorite? I like all of them, but I like the sweet of the Right, right. <laughs> cool. What do you prefer? WhatsApp or call? WhatsApp. Okay. I hate calls. You hate calls. <laughs> so nobody should call anything. Else. If it's a planned call, great. But unplanned calls, I mean, it's going to uh, what's one question you wish I had asked you and how would you have answered? Oh, shit. This is a tough one. <laughs> uh, uh, nee, you asked, you are, you are brilliant. Uh, you asked all questions. <laughs> okay, I'll take that as a compliment. <laughs> it is, it is. One advice to your younger self? Uh, invest in relationships. Uh, understand relationships yeah and trust and competence are the two pillars of oh, relationships that's correct that's how it starts yeah how do you unwind uh how do you unwind netflix <laughs> uh, kids 
anything uh, you are currently binge watching so that we can also do that oh yeah when i binge watch i finish it uh, i i i and then i quickly forget what i binge watch <laughs> but i'm a big uh, anime fan uh, big i love sci-fi anything to do with uh, action action sci-fi are my like favorites so anything to do there i would have watched it okay great have you watched we crashed it's on apple tv it's quite fun we crashed it's on Okay. Yeah. So I, I I don't have any Apple products barring my laptop. So, but I'll find it. I'll go watch it. Uh-huh. <laughs> Do watch it. It's pretty good. And it's small also. There's just eight episodes. Very cool. Um. So you're from Delhi, but now it's based in Bangalore. So very controversial question. Uh-huh. Delhi or Bangalore? Bangalore. Bangalore. Uh, Delhi for my wife. Bangalore for me. <laughs> uh, but how, how do you defend you from Delhi? So Why? when I go to what? Delhi, right? Um. Uh, that two three things i just can't uh, get accustomed to anymore uh, one is uh, the temperature either it's too hot or too cold yeah second is this continuous worry about pollution yeah. uh, especially when kids are around yeah and third when i'm driving in delhi uh, you know even if it is my green light to take a right i can't <laughs> because the traffic will not stop so how do i deal with the traffic anymore is very hard for me <laughs> yeah and why does your wife like delhi more family our entire family is mostly there or in north okay great last question how do you what does success mean to you how do you define success success in personal life is happiness and success in professional life is a um, is a business which is profitable and sustainable right uh, yeah so the last section for our podcast is uh, indebted to debt because you know we cover this because debt has such a negative connotation uh, I, I, uh, and uh, you know we like to uh, like you to tell us how has debt played an important part in your you know professional journey or personal life let's understand that a debt at the end of a day is a tool and every tool as it's uh, is a two edged sword right uh, if you use it appropriately it's very very effective if you don't use it appropriately uh, you know bad things can happen like it happened to anil ambani uh, so fundamentally in professional life right a i'm in the business of lending so it's pretty obvious right i'm borrowing at lower cost and i'm lending at higher cost right but leaving that aside uh, the primary purpose of debt is to help you dilute less uh, raise less equity uh, if you look at whether it's mukesh money or whether it's my business right both of us use debt uh, and the primary objective of debt is that you don't don't need to fund the business through equity because if you fund the business through equity either you will not be able to achieve that scale or do that kind of investment uh, or you need to dilute lot more right? so so clearly that's the purpose of it but on the other hand if you over leverage yourself like lehman did uh, it it was 35x levered uh, that means you know less than 3% of the business was equity uh, if, if for some reason the value of the investments were done by 5% lehman was lehman would have become bankrupt which it did leverage is the core problem uh, if you are uh, if if you don't plan well if your business doesn't generate cash flow if you're too levered then at the end of the day debt is an obligation to pay back somebody back so so that's uh, that's a two uh, edge sword of of debt 
and there is a wide right you can in the middle there is a, like a wide range it's not that uh, uh, it's a small tiny range it's a wide yeah, range you know when you're crossing that yeah, yeah. it has to be a you know a, a conscious decision from the lender right. and the borrower they know that they are getting into this so whether it was vijay malya or anil ambani right it's greed who pushed them over right and and uh, uh, and as i said right there is a wide uh, wide gap where you know exactly how to do it in personal life you use debt to improve your affordability uh, let me take an example right and this example is very close to my heart uh, there's a uh, i mean i remember this there was a person who wanted to buy a laptop for his kid because it would help the kid in his education uh, using a emi loan that person was able to afford a laptop uh, which otherwise he would have had to do savings for one year to afford it right so in a personal life too debt helps us achieve our dreams faster you can buy your home faster you can buy your car faster you can afford a laptop for your kid faster now when you use it for affordability it's fantastic that affordability is consumption right but when it stops being consumption for enabling to consumption for just for pure consumption beyond your means so kehte na paon chadar se zyada pilana same problem right uh, if you are uh future cash flows cannot easily service the debt that you have raised uh then you'll again end up in a problem and that's why you see so many bankruptcies in us particularly india may personal bankruptcy be well defined but otherwise you would also see some of those things in india yeah. so so same thing right there's a wide margin <laughs> but uh yeah. yeah so right use and right amount is definitely beneficial it increases yeah, significantly at the end of yeah. the day correct correct yeah. correct Thank you so much, Nitin. It has been an absolute uh, pleasure speaking to you. It's like for the pleasure. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you for having me over.